We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Maurice Coastman, one of my favourite accounts on Twitter. He works at Ubuntu Cape Town FC in South Africa. He's a writer for Spiel Verlagerung. His content and how he approaches session design has fascinated me for a long time. So I was really, really excited to get him on. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this one, at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. Special shout out to our friends over at Sports Lab 360 for teaming up with us on this one. They put together a great offer exclusive for MSC listeners. I would highly suggest sticking around at the halfway point to receive it. Also, we've been putting a lot of stuff on modernsoccercoach.com. If you go up there, all the daily webinars throughout the week that we're putting up, the presentations, the interviews... They're going on modernsoccercoach.com. We've opened up the platform, so everything's free in there. Okay, here's Maurice. Enjoy. Maurice, thanks so much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Super excited to have you on. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. We just had a quick chat there about, about session design. and My first question was, was kind of geared towards you know, your sessions are, are very creative, but there there is... It's not creative as in there's people jumping over ropes and cars and stuff like that, but there is there is always a the game is always there and and the, and the idea is always there. When you look at a lot of sessions today online, it does seem really uh, like almost groupthink, boring, uh, bland. I mean, do you think we have as a coaching community? I don't know, almost become less creative in our work. I think it's it's you know it's difficult for me obviously to judge from from a distance. Um, I would agree with that. I've seen a lot of things that look similar along similar lines. Um, I guess you know for some context it can be quite difficult to you know spend quite a lot of time in terms of session design. I'm I'm thinking about kind of two scenario there. The first one being you know. An amateur coach who's got a full-time job and you know probably has very minimal time to plan what he does on a Tuesday and a Thursday evening and I would even say in a, in a professional environment often when there's you know big pressure I think coaches might tend to go a little bit towards sort of tried and trusted I think that's definitely you know a thinking bias like that but yeah that those would be two scenarios where I could see that things can be quite monotonous, so to say, if that's the right word. What, what are your key consistent principles that you try to deliver in, in as many sessions or every session that you, that you plan? Yeah, I mean, if I look at um, my own sessions, then I think the kind of a red thread, if you'd like, would be that they are competitive. That's very important for me in really the overwhelming majority of the stuff that I design, 
it will be um, with some sort of rules to have a winner or a loser, a winner and a loser. Um, you know, even in the early rondo in the session, I will often have kind of scoring rules. Um, I train most with decision making most of the time. So we'll have two teams playing against each other. And then I would say that most often the principles that we do have as an academy or as an organization or, you know, as a team are the starting point to what we do. And then we try to um, train the same principles, but train them in a different, even a different way. So the same, but different. If you'd like differential learning would be a, you know, a overarching guideline, so to say. Yeah. So you're not exposing the players to, the exact same session over and over again, but they might get exposed to the same idea. Uh, yes. for, yeah, in the same in the same week. I mean, how much variation is there? I mean, it would be a very very fun experience to see a curriculum that you would design because it seems like every week you're you're producing something new. So, is there is it just a blank slate in terms of of your club where where you have room to to put this work out, or is there you know, is there certain ways, formation, style that the club have that, that you've got to work around? Um, no, I'm actually, uh, I feel very blessed with the environment I work in. So at Ubuntu, we have kind of two technical directors. There's a, one technical director for the, the younger phase. So like the pre-academy and then under 12 and under 14. And then I have that position for under 16, 18, and then the, the more senior side. And I lead a lot of sessions in that context with the uh, three different teams that I'm involved in. And yeah, the leadership, have, you know, they place a lot of trust in me and they give me pretty much free reign when it comes to that. Obviously, I will um, discuss things and often ask for feedback. Um, but yeah, I do carry a lot of responsibility for designing, but that's something that I really enjoy and find like one of the most fun parts about the job that I'm lucky enough to do. Yeah, this is interesting and something that I don't think we talk enough about in the coaching community. I mean, we... We do have no problem saying that there's a, you know, there's an IAX way or there's a way of doing it in a curriculum way. But do you think, or, or say, say I, say I own a club in the Premier League, and I hire you tomorrow, or I give you a, I triple your salary tomorrow, and say come to the England and work for me, and you're like, oh yeah, definitely I'll be there. What time do I leave? And I said, yeah, the only thing is, you, you have to run the training sessions that I give you. Would that be a deal breaker for you? Well, it would definitely be something that, you know, would make me think twice, so to say. Um, I would, with, with that, I'd say that it's important that, you know, you do a lot of research when you hire people, especially in coaching positions, because ultimately coaches carry a lot of responsibility for, you know, a group of players that you are investing in. So I would expect that most um, clubs will do a good research when it comes to hiring people. But then when you hire people, I think that within a certain reference, you do need to allow freedom and trust them to be doing, you know, the job that they um, have been hired for. And I think session design is certainly a part of that. I think feedback should always be um 
you know, an, an very important part of the conversation, but I think freedom is very important in order for coaches to develop themselves also and make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult. Like, I, I've done this. I have delivered uh, on different places. I've delivered, whether it's a camp or whether it's at a club that I've worked at, I've delivered sessions that are someone else's sessions. And I've struggled with that. I find it restrictive because w- when I put myself in the perspective, not that the, not that the session's unrealistic or not good, but when I put myself in the position of the person designing the session, I start to think about, well, when would they want the intervention here or what do they want me to pick upon? Whereas my eyes might see something different and I start to become a little uncomfortable with that there. Um, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? No, I think for sure, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's a process from design to executing the session to ultimately evaluating it. I think that, you know, those things are very, very tightly linked in many different ways. And I, I definitely have had the same experience as you that when I carry out something that I wasn't involved with designing it. And I think there's an important difference. There's like, am I involved in the design with a head coach or, um, you know, am I given a piece of paper to now execute? And I've definitely been in that position before as well. And I do agree. It's, it's difficult because you sort of might get caught a little bit between thinking, okay, what did that person want in a certain scenario? And then your own, you know, reference as a coach, I think, that definitely could be a bit of an awkward space to land in. Awkward's a great word. I feel as if I'm wearing someone else's clothes when I'm doing it. Like I really feel as if, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm having the, uh, and, I, and I know I probably am overanalyzing it, but I feel that it's, and I've had it another way as well. Like I've had, on one occasion, I've had a session, um, I won't say where it was, but I've looked at it and said, I can't put my name to this. Like, I don't want to be associated with this exercise. I suppose whenever you're faced with that there as a youth coach or as a assistant coach, I mean, what, what perspective or what advice would you give that coach to try and, and challenge in a respectful way, your boss's session design? I think, you know, staying within, you know, Raymond Fahayan's football language to try to stay factual, objective when discussing the problem, trying not to, you know, get personal in any way, try not to use, you know, big destructive words when discussing it. And maybe, you know, highlighting certain parts that you enjoyed about the session first and then, you know, delicately, because I think it is a thing that people could take personal, um, delicately kind of try to, you know, suggest that certain changes could help make it better from your perspective at least and you know sometimes i think only small changes can lead to big differences in a a certain exercise as well so you know when you approach it from that angle maybe it's a little bit more likely to be received well on the other end who would have thought raymond verheyen is is advising you to be uh careful and considerate in your delivery eh? That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah yeah let's I, I would I would say that you know the objective 
football language and 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 that reference i think that you know when it can be delivered in a in a careful way if it's adapted so to say very good very good uh okay let's i've i've taken some of your your sessions and wanted to get your thoughts on it here so the the first one i sent you was the the pentagon again like it just makes you think like well well why would i not put why would i not design that you you often do this where you where you change you change the shape so i saw an h1 a couple of weeks ago as well um i mean in this one and specifically why what are the advantages of using a pentagon that you see i think with that one the the idea behind it was um to overload the scanning and orientation of the players and i think that um, when there's several targets available you know a logical thing to happen would be for players to you know have to orient themselves more to to see you know where's the open space where's the open target and how can i change the point of attack to go towards that target so that was the motivation behind that is you know giving each team more than one goal to aim at and then you know overloading scanning but at the same time i also wanted to have switches of play so like let's say for example that the players are are attacking the the topmost goal and the the defensive team managed to close that down well well how do we then manage to find one of the target players next to one of the other goals and switch play via one of the center players and then maybe another player from the center of the field can come and score the goal off the layoff so you know again it's they are the the game is related to a lot of the principles that I'd ideally like to see our teams execute on attack. I imagine this one is there's a real tempo to it with with the numbers in there. I'm just trying to look there. Five v five in the middle. I mean, imagine there's a lot of it's pretty chaotic. It's pretty transitional. Is that is that something that you want to challenge the decision making to make them as quick as possible? Put them under the pressure there. Yes, yes, for sure. And um, with you, you'll notice that it's a 5v5 plus 5 for each team. So with this, because it does become high tempo and there's, you know, also a big overload towards ever-changing situations and players having to react constantly, you know, we'll play very short rounds on that and then just swap the whole team out with the guys that are playing as the wall players on the on the outside, if that makes sense. So with it being 5 plus 5v5 plus 5 so to say you know it allows for swift rotation and then high tempo in the center of the field on the second one this one really intrigued me because you know as a coach i was once asked this is about 7 years ago by another coach why most of my exercise is attacking exercise put in overloads why i was always a plus 2 in in for the attacking team uh, and I always thought, I think, wow, well, I probably want more success attacking ways, so I want to, yeah. you know, give them an extra option. Never really considered underloads, and and even now I'm thinking, well, the success level must be pretty low. But you know, what are the advantages that 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 the outnumbered players get in an exercise? Well, the the underload game, the 
motivation behind that one, I think, is 1v1, but 1v1 in relation to a situation. So what we found quite often is that we'd have players that are able to beat their opposition, but often they would beat the opposition and then, you know, let's say run into a second opponent. So their dribbling or, you know, dribbling action would be not necessarily in relation to the the whole picture of the game. And I think that's one problem that, you know, just training 1v1 in isolation gives you. You know, when you beat the player, you've beaten the player. And now, you know, if anything, you're having a shot at goal. I think in the underload, you have to beat the player, but you really have to beat him also with thinking about what is your next action going to be. So am I beating him inside? And then, you know, am I immediately going to run into a second defender? Well, in that situation, I will then have to choose a slightly different dribbling action. Am I going to beat him inside and then have a passing angle to my one teammate? Well, you know, in that situation, I might act a, a little bit differently. And also off the ball, you know, if you are, have, let's say, a 1v1 by the ball and then a 1v2 against the ball, how can that player off the ball get into a position where he occupies both the defenders that aren't immediately involved in the action so that if I do beat the player, I might ideally have, you know, a path at goal. So we'd, we'd maybe use a lot of, you know, questioning techniques in that exercise and ask players, well, do you do all your runs off the ball have to be aimed at, um, you know, getting the ball yourself? Or can there also be, you know, real value in just taking defenders away and, you know, allowing a player to that is on the ball to have the, the path to goal, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Like even, even from a, a challenging point of view of game conditions where I think over here, Maurice, we've got a culture where, if the ball goes, say if you throw in a flat ball or it's a little bit deflated, the players stop playing with it immediately. And if it's a decision with the referee, they'll stop and ask. And if it's, uh, you know, if someone goes down hurt, or not seriously, but someone gets a little knock, the game stops because the team's down. And we don't really react to, when you watch or when you see teams in the game trying to beat a low block, then exactly what you're saying happens, isn't it? Where you're you're normally outnumbered when you're in attack because you're having to, to keep that cover of centre-backs. So you see that picture quite a lot, but we don't, and I'm guilty of this myself, don't design training sessions around that. For sure, for sure. I think that a lot of the underload situation can be mitigated by the players off the ball getting into really good positions. So you could call it, you know, the pinning action where the player of the ball might be able to pin the defender away from the ball by getting in behind them. Or one that I particularly like is sort of, let's call it equidistant positioning. So let's say there's two defenders and me as an attacker, I try to get in between both of them so that if I receive the ball, maybe there's a miscommunication and both those guys will now close me down which can, you know, leave a lot of room for me for a successful follow-up action if I am able to get out of that underload. So, you know, these things, I think they are very sort of easily trainable in an underload scenario. And what I actually found with, with that particular scenario is that 
players actually had quite a lot of success with it. And funnily enough, they also really enjoyed it a lot. So we'd play for really short intervals, give each, you know, attacking two a, a couple of chances to go at the defending three. And when we did it the first time, they actually asked me for that exercise a couple of times afterwards, which, you know, then I took as them really enjoying it. So, you know, I would say that that's a success if, if your players react like that to it, which obviously also isn't always the case with what we do. The third one is, it made me think of, you know, this balance between attack and structure and then freedom. So you've got uh, the game that's conditioned with the zones, with the vertical channels. I, I wanted to ask you, it, in this case, how can a coach then, when you're coaching this or when you're designing this, how do you get that balance of freedom and structure when you're coaching the attacking side of the game? Actually, with that, that we use that for the first time at a time of the season when we were, you know, off season after the season before school ends, if that makes some sort of sense. So during that time, we would have one session a week where we'd have quite a bit of conditioned games like this and where I'd actually consciously try out a lot of new things. And then in one of the other sessions in the week, we'd play like completely free 11 v 11. We had, you know, two teams and I would actually ask the leaders in the group to set up those teams by themselves, formation wise and everything. So during that time, we, we had a strong contrast, like sometimes where they really had to think a lot, where the games were quite complex. And then another time where they were completely free to make their own decisions. So this game, what I'd say about it is how I'd go about coaching it is, is asking the players, okay, well, what are you allowed to do? And then, you know, that will normally be certain principles that we'd want on attack and then asking them, okay, in this situation, how, for example, could you move off the ball so that we can create an up back through moment? I think with a game like this also to introduce, you know, constraints one after the other is definitely something that makes sense as well. But then at the same time, you know, if it does become a little bit too restrictive, I think there is, you know, good thought in opening it up a little bit or, for example, allowing certain runs from the middle zone into the final zone, um, stuff like that if, that, if that makes some sort of sense. Just take a quick break here. As we've all seen, the creativity from coaches has certainly been a silver lining of the current circumstances as we're continuing to look for ways to foster enjoyment and development within our players during this time. I also understand that many of us are facing the challenge of keeping things fresh and exciting for them. So about two months into this remote world, skills, competitions, Zoom calls, group workouts, film analysis sessions, etc, etc, can easily become routine and even a bit stale. If you feel like you've started to experience this with your team and your club, and you need some new ideas and new channels to develop and communicate with your players, Sports Lab 360 is a perfect solution. The player-focused Soccer IQ platform will not only provide development, learning and engagement, but also a resource that can be used to build around, open up so many other ways to have positive and productive interactions with your players. Through our work with them, we are able to offer a custom two-month 
team plan for only $125. Go ahead over to their website, www.sportslab360.com. Reach out to them there and tell them Gary sent you. Nick will take care of you there. Thanks so much to Sports Lab 360 for teaming up with us. Please check them out. Back to Moritz. And the fourth one, you know, again, I love the idea. Whenever you're designing this here, I mean, how do you then balance uh, conditions without, I suppose, overcomplicated? Do you ever put yourself in a situation where you look at an exercise and there are too many conditions and you think, well, that might restrict the players because they have to think of 20 different things or, or is that based on the age or the level or, or how do you work through that process? Well, I'd say with, with that fourth one, I would, I would really go about maybe having starting it as a simple end to end game in a funny shaped field, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and just giving points for end to end. And then maybe I'd interrupt a certain moment and, coach a certain principle let's say for argument's sake up back and through and then i might add continuously a couple of the conditions that might then highlight that principle so like things to go hand in hand and and build it up a little bit like that but yeah we for sure not all these games work immediately every time you know definitely not there's a lot of times when i'll think okay this is something new, it has potential, but the field needs to be a little bit bigger or that rule doesn't really make sense because it actually restricts some of the behavior we want whilst maybe highlighting some other parts, which for me is a sort of a a heuristic that I use is to say, when I design an exercise, I I want the outcome, the exercise to highlight certain principles But even more importantly, whilst highlighting the principles, I don't want it to restrict or sort of induce undesired behavior in other phases of the game. So I'll give you an example. You know, if I want my game to be for counterattacking, for argument's sake, but it's nice if I get good repetition of counterattacking, but for me, I wouldn't want it then to mean that the other team can't counter press, for example. So repetition with kind of creating undesired behavior in other parts of the game is not what I want ideally. So, you know, when I'm finished designing something, I look at does it um, does it induce certain principles, but also does it not discourage behavior in other phases? Very interesting. How do you come up with your ideas? Big question. Um, I mean, there's there's kind of two directions that it goes. So either I'll work backwards from a principle um, or sometimes I think of a certain shape. So let's say an hourglass as an example. And then I think, okay, how can I work within this hourglass um, to, you know, make it, suitable for our principles of play so you know there's obviously certain parameters that one can play within the session being neutral players um being being field shapes being points for you know certain desired behavior um so 
that's that's how I go about it. Either a shape will be a starting point, but most often it will be a principle. And then I'll think about how can I, you know, really highlight the relevance of that principle. And um, yeah, again, saying that, you know, I want to train the same ideas, but I want to train them in slightly different ways. You know, what are your sources of creativity that are in and out of the game? Who do you look at for a little bit of inspiration? Well, I'd say um, Rene Maric is definitely a big role model for me. He's been for a lot of a lot of years. So, funnily enough, actually in 2014, which is way back now, he analyzed one of my junior teams that I was coaching back then. So he's always been a, a coaching inspiration. I think there's a lot of good guys out there in the Twitter sphere, so to say. I think Judah Davids would be one. George Jones would be another one. And, you know, I, I try to read quite a bit, obviously. I regularly follow your podcast. I follow the um, German coaching magazine. And often I will see stuff in there that I like and I think is an interesting idea. But then maybe I want it slightly different for for how we do it. And then I'll adopted and adapted, so to say. Um, another source of kind of inspiration for me would be that um, before I went into coaching soccer full-time, I was actually coaching a little bit of cricket, athletics, and hockey in South Africa as well. So I actually think in the long term that that's something that, you know, is helping me, you know, not only in terms of designing things, but also in terms of handling different ages and different groups. Yeah, we've seen that in the podcast a few times, people that have been exposed to a different sport or even a different profession. They come in with, with innovation. They come in with a little bit more of a, maybe a commitment to ideas rather than sometimes as a, by growing up in the game, you sometimes take an idea and say you're open to it, but you don't follow through with it. Whereas working in other areas, it seems to be there's a belief that you can not just be open-minded, but you can be more open to processes as well. No, I, I agree with you. I think there's you know a lot of interesting literature that has come out in the last year on that as well. I think I'm reading the book Rebel Ideas at the moment. Um, and then I would say the the book day by David Epstein called Range is also very very interesting when it comes to that subject. And I'd actually you know go a little bit further and say that sports players themselves can be you know positively influenced by other games as well. If you take a South African cricketer called Ab De Villiers as an example, you know he played tennis right up until he was like 16 years old and never really focused all that much on cricket, but seemingly it had a massively positive effect on the sort of range of his stroke play. So I think there is definitely some real value in that and um, some a real interesting area to study. But of course, I can't, you know, say definitively how it influences on football. <laughs> How often do you try something new and it falls flat on its face? Um, completely flat, 
<laughs> I would I would say not that often, but that might be my own thinking bias coming into the game there. Um, you know, I probably best have to ask my players how often that is the case. But most most often we'll try something and then I think it can be working with certain adaptations. I think it can have some value. Um, so oftentimes I'll also ask my my colleagues at Ubuntu and, and very often I'll ask the players also what they thought about certain some things. And, you know, they often give very helpful answers as well. So, yeah, like I wouldn't say completely flat. Of course, it's happened a couple of times, but most of the time I, I just try to tweak it and then, go again at some point and see if it's a little bit better but w just to to finish that thought what like if the players completely hate it then i would say it's fallen flat and then i won't ever do it again your coaching style we talked a lot about i wanted to get your thoughts on that your coaching style during the session itself is it are you on top of it do you stand off how do you how do you work around that i think it depends a little bit on the complexity of what we're doing. And, you know, despite the fact that I, I put out quite a lot of, you know, let's call it complex or creative kind of stuff, you know, it's not definitely not all we do in training. We also have things that we go back to time and again. We play quite a bit of free games. So I'd say the coaching style depends a little bit on the, the time of the week, but also just the exercise. So the game is massively complex. I don't think it's conducive for me to then be, you know, freeze coaching a lot and interrupting a lot and, and talking a lot during the game. Um, so, you know, like if the game ha brings the complexity, I try to, you know, not add to that with my kind of explicit coaching. Um, but if the game is a bit simpler and also, you know, if it's something that they're used to and they're well on top of and they're doing something similar again, then I do... I do like to um, be a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more explicit. But when I give a coaching point, unless it's something like very, very specific and detailed, um, I try to generally ask questions and just get the players to, you know, bring everybody to the answer and kind of engage them like that. So, you know, if it's a simpler game, I might interrupt and then go about kind of question, asking some questions. And if the game is quite complex, then, you know, with, with all these scoring rules, occasionally I just have to make sure that I stay on top of those as well. Because if I, if I don't, you know, they kind of lose their effect and their meaning as well. And then I might as well just have, you know, left it without. All right, last one for you. And you kind of touched on this before by asking the players. But, I mean, what are some ways that you reflecting, reviewing the, the session that you judge as success? No, I try to to have it kind of as a circular process. So the game is definitely the starting point. Um, the games that we play and, you know, a playing style, then from that we'll design the training and then also, you know, go back to the game and, and um, you know, see how have we improved? Have we improved at what we worked on during the week we'll do that with you know the aid of video analysis but yeah like i said I, i'll chat a lot to the players and i think my my colleagues are very very valuable in that 
respect to that you know they will give you know unpolished kind of feedback and and really give a a nice critical opinion on on the things and you know a lot of them have worked together with me for a few years so they also kind of have quite a big reference of what we've done in training before and can you know give a really helpful maybe slightly more outside opinion on um you know on the team and how it can work for the team and how not if that makes sense brilliant Maurice, we're out of time. That was fantastic. Loved it. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much to Maurice for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, love that. Love that conversation. Um, those sessions I will put up on the modernsoccercoach.com and put this together where you can see the ones that he's talking through, the exercises with the shapes and the designs give you a little bit of a visual whenever you're listening to that there so i'll go ahead and do that that'll be up on the website this week i'll put that on twitter so you can have a look at that there but a big big takeaway for me was which i wasn't surprised about because the detail that he works the the tactical approach to to a session design you know knowing the way behind what he was doing and that circular process that he talked about i thought was fascinating but i also enjoyed how you know, sometimes we get carried away that when people put loads of sessions on and there's hundreds of ideas, they normally don't stand for anything. But I think you can tell with Maurice there that there is a real objective in his approach. There's a real detail in his approach. But even from the fact of when I asked him, what if it goes wrong and how he judges a session that goes wrong, you know, his support network in terms of coaches and also just asking the players, I thought was great. So that detail that he puts into his session design is not just in his session design. You can you can hear that it goes into his analysis piece, it goes into his communication piece, it goes into his tactical references. Everything is connected. And I think that's what makes his session so special is that whenever I look at it, I think it's it's complex but it's simple in terms of the idea. It's complex and possibly a design or a condition or two. And that's what makes it special for me. So I really, really enjoyed that. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. At Gary Kernin on Instagram. At Gary Kernin on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay safe. I will speak to you very soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 